Before we dive into the episode, I have an exciting announcement to make. I am hosting a masterclass entitled Five Easy Ways to End Procrastination for Good. Unsurprisingly, perfectionism and procrastination go hand in hand. And in fact, of the nearly 2,700 people who have interacted with my What Type of Perfectionist Are You quiz, 58% are procrastinators. 58%. That is over half. And this shows up in ways like having so many goals you want to achieve, so you end up feeling overwhelmed, stuck, and doing nothing or continually waiting to be in the right mood or feel motivated to tackle a task, or feeling like you're always so busy working on the small and, let's be honest, more comfortable tasks, but then you beat yourself up for not working on the bigger things that will actually move you forward. And that's just some of the examples. There are so many more. But basically, procrastination is a tricky bitch. And in this masterclass, I am walking you through the five easy and simple ways that will help you never procrastinate again. Seriously, this is coming from someone who used to procrastinate like crazy and now has not done it in years, thanks to these tools. From teaching you a step-by-step exercise to overcome overwhelm, to identifying what your biggest self-sabotaging factor is, by the way, it's personal to everyone, we'll go over that in the masterclass, to teaching you the number one tool for curating motivation within yourself. Basically, no more waiting to feel motivated to tackle those big, big things. There's so much more we're going to cover in this masterclass. But basically, you and your goals get ready because we're about to go from stagnant to launching yourself the F forward. Admission for this masterclass is just $27 and you get lifetime access to the full video content. So join me on August 31st by saving your seat at lifecoachbaker.com forward slash procrastination or by clicking the link in the show notes. And yes, if you cannot make it live, there will be a replay available and you get lifetime access to that replay. I cannot wait to see you there. Now on to the episode. Say that again for the people in the back. (laughs) Yes. The way that our brains are structured, the ways that our brains are wired, right? From the physiological perspective is that they thrive on high periods of high quality activity followed by high quality rest. Action, rest, action, rest. Welcome to the Life Coach Baker podcast. I'm Nicole Baker, life coach for perfectionists who want to set goals and actually follow through with them. I went to my first personal development seminar at the age of one. Yes, I was quite literally born into this industry. But by 15, I started to implement this mindset mumbo-jumbo I'd heard so much about, and it worked. As a recovering perfectionist myself, I've been able to set goals that are way out of my comfort zone and achieve them by doing things imperfectly, without self-judgment, and without the fear of their opinions. And now I help others to do the same. So if you are capital D done feeling like a hostage to this a-hole called perfectionism, then this show is for you. My goal is for you to leave each episode with tactical action steps that you can start to implement in your life now. I may be in my 20s. I may have the voice of a sassier Cinderella, but I've been doing this personal development-ish since I was a toddler. So let's dive in. What is up, my sweet friends? Welcome back to another episode of the Life Coach Baker podcast. 
Today, I am interviewing author of Joy in Plain Sight, Katya Davidova. Katya is not only one of my inspirations, my true inspirations in life. Um, her book has touched me in ways that I just, I, I truly could not put into words. But when I read those sentences, I was like, oh my God, that's that's how I felt. Like it is just one of the most relatable books, but she's also a incredibly good friend of mine. Um, I met Katya way, way, way back when in 2020 at our um, jobs that we were working at the time. I was working at a tech company in Chicago. She was at the same tech company, but in the LA branch. And we immediately just hit it off. We were both like the very bubbly learning and development growth oriented people and just became very fast friends. And when she mentioned that she's writing a book, I got the paperback as soon as I possibly could. And I binged it and I messaged her immediately and said, even if you and I were not dear friends, (laughs) I would still say I recommend this book to every single person in my audience. I need you on the podcast. And thank God she was like, duh, (laughs) of course I'll come on. And I just, I'm so, so, so happy for her just with not only the success of the book and how it's really shaping up, but just all the things that she has done. And I'm so excited for you all to listen to our interview regarding the book. And I strongly recommend if you are someone who feels that like constant urgency to be busy, if you're someone who feels that like um, uh, the your worth is all in your work, I strongly recommend getting a copy of this book. It is a lot of what Katya talks about in the book is her struggle and her come to come to realization moment around these topics. Um, it is just it's so good. So um, a little bit about Katya. Katya Davidova's mission is to create a more joyful world. What a beautiful mission. I love that a lot. By day, she is an expert leadership facilitator for companies like Google, Netflix, and Dropbox. Just a few, you know, you've never heard of. Teaching managers, executives, and individual contributors in essential skills like strategic thinking, communication, and feedback. She is also the author of Joy in Plain Sight, a collection of stories and essays celebrating the wonder in the ordinary against the backdrop of our always on, always busy world. Wow, I'm so excited. A quick reminder before we dive into the interview, I am hosting a masterclass entitled Five Easy Ways to End Procrastination for Good. I'm so excited. This is a masterclass I've been asked for for four years since I started coaching perfectionists, really. And this is the first time we're really gearing it all in and laying it all out on the table in an hour-long masterclass. Again, over and over again, this community talks about their number one struggle, which is always procrastination. I mentioned it um, at the top of the episode, but in my quiz, what type of perfectionist are you, which almost 2,700 people have interacted with, the Oh, like outstanding outlier is the procrastinators at coming in at like 58% of quiz takers. And I think that this is not an accident. 
we are a society that is constantly filled with information. And when we are filled filled with so much information, we get overwhelmed. And when we get overwhelmed, we procrastinate. It is a survival technique. We're going to go a lot over this in the masterclass. By the way, I heard someone be like, oh, like, are you just going to teach us like, you know, like, oh, just like push through, dude. No, I am not that kind of coach at all. Instead, what we're going to be going over is why does your brain procrastinate? What are the key ways to work with your brain through procrastination to actually start achieving your goals? I am not someone who just says, push through, rub some dirt on it. I am someone who is really all about why does we why do we do what we do and how do we reprogram our brain from the root and stem rather than just layering a bunch of shit over it and hoping that it works so i'm going to be talking to you guys about really how to address procrastination once and for all. We're going to be talking about the step-by-step exercise to overcome overwhelm, which is the universal cause of procrastination. We're going to be talking about how to identify your biggest self-sabotaging factor with procrastination. By the way, it's personal to everyone. We're going to do a little exercise. I'm excited. And I'm also going to be teaching you the number one tool for cultivating motivation within yourself. I hear time and time again from procrastinators. They say, oh, well, you know, I'm not really feeling motivated. So I'm just going to do it tomorrow when I feel more motivated. And they've said that every day for like four months. I'm going to teach you how to ignite motivation within yourself so that you do not have to rely on that like magic motivation fairy to come down and like boop you on the head. We don't, that is not how we build a life of our dreams. It's not how we go after our goals. We have to find that motivation and that discipline within ourselves, but there is a key strategy towards doing that. And I'm going to teach you how to do that in the masterclass. And there's so much more we're going to go over. I'm so excited. And mission for this masterclass is just $27 and you get lifetime access to the full video content. That is something a lot of people don't normally do with masterclasses. You will get this for life to revisit as much as you want. Join me on August 31st by saving your seat at lifecoachbaker.com forward slash procrastination, or you can click the link in the show notes. And yes, if you cannot make it live, there will be a replay. And again, you have lifetime access. So watch it as much as you want. I cannot wait to see you there. As you can tell, I'm really excited for this. Now, let's dive into the interview with the incredible, dear, 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 dear human being in my life, Katya. I can't even say the words welcome Katya to the podcast because I might burst into tears. So like, this is already crying. My eyes are already misty. I'm like, why is it so blurry here? Oh my God. Welcome Katya to the Life Coach Baker podcast. This is a dream come true. Thank you, Nicole. I've been thinking about our journey and how we ended up here today to be where we are across the country in front of our Zoom screens and also just still sharing this connection after Mm -hmm. numerous years. Yeah, honestly, just gratitude is what I feel, my friend. So thank you. Really, from the bottom of my heart, it's so much of the same. Like, I, I let's give listeners a little bit of a backstory, like how how you and I met in our previous lifetimes. It feels like, and now how we how we connect now. So um, I'll let you take it away. You go for it. I love that. Thank you. So we met 
many moons ago working at a tech company that we both were at. And this was after a bunch of mergers, after a bunch of uh, unfortunate layoffs and just a lot of tumult during the height of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I just remember like thinking to myself, this Nicole person is special. Like I actually thought that I was like, wow, there is something about Nicole that is just so magnetizing and effervescent. If I could describe you in one word, Nicole, it would be effervescent. Truly. Katya, it's two minutes in. I can't start falling. <laughs> <laughs> and scene. <laughs> the end. Thank you. I so same. And like, I, I remember because Katya, you were in the a different department than I was, but it was a department that I was like, I would really like to dabble into this, like learning and development. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things I remember, like our first meeting was just like, she has so much energy. I want to be like her. Like, I just like remember like this almost like, like mentor admiring, uh, mm-hmm. like is what it, what it felt like. And then who knew like this beautiful friendship would blossom out of it. And like, I remember our, our zoom meetings, we were, uh, Google meet meetings or whatever. We always would have to make them like 15 or 20 minutes longer because we just spent the time talking. We're like, I guess we should talk about work now. <laughs> I suppose if we must, if we absolutely must, but yes, for for the context and the backstory, you're totally right. Mm-hmm. We were, I was on the people ops team. I think you were a part of employee engagement comms yes uh, I, have, I have question marks there too because i op, op, i think it was just true operations that was it yes yes, yes not yes. true oper- just operations just operations, <laughs> just operations. <laughs> right and we work together on a lot of lnd stuff which i think mm-hmm. is such a beautiful synthesis of the things that we kind of a part of our ethos, right? How do we help folks develop intentionally with a lot of support and also a lot of kindness, self-compassion and love? And how do we transfer that to the workplace, right? And now you get to do that for a living, which is just mind blowing. I I so love, love that path. And I would love, love for listeners to hear what you're doing now, because you're very far from the people ops. You're now in an entirely different field, which is so like glowing. I can see you just glowing from it. Thank you. Might be the sheen of the tears on my on my cheeks. <laughs> but uh, yes, <laughs> thank you for asking. I'm tangentially still related to people ops to L and D, but in the way of leadership development. Yes. So now I work at an organization that teaches life's most important skills to managers, executives, ICs, and it's skills that a lot of us. I believe need and a lot of us can learn. Like it, yeah. these are these are skills that we build, right? It's not something that that is innate. So things like influential communication, feedback, strategic thinking, you know, career growth. How do we have those difficult conversations with ourselves, with our team members, with our managers to ultimately thrive in the workplace? Because yes. Nicole, you and I know if we spend so much of our lives working, shouldn't there be an ounce of joy, of purpose, of meaning? Yes. And the things that we do for at least eight hours a day for at least a third of our lives. Eight hours a day for most people, not for you though. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, we'll talk on. about that. I'm excited. Well, and then the whole other side project doesn't even feel like the right word. The whole other project you've been working on for the past year, which is the reason you're here now, you wrote a book. <laughs> you wrote a weird book. That's so amazing. Thank you. Will you give reader or readers, you guys aren't reading this podcast. Will you give listeners a quick reader's digest of what brought you to this book, what the book is about, and we'll dive so deep into it. But I'd love to hear what your journey to it was. 
Yes. I always love a good journey story. One of my favorite questions to ask at parties is what's your story or, you know, what's, what's your journey. And I love the sort of answers that come. I'm so stealing that. (laughs) Please, please. It's like, who's that person who's asking people stories at the party? You know, it's just got to you. The sort of genesis of Joy in Plain Sight, the book is called Joy in Plain Sight, Stories and Essays, Celebrating Wonder in the Ordinary. The genesis is that, like many of us, I intuit many of the folks who are tuning in, might have felt that pang of, oh shit, like what is going on in the world as the pandemic hit? Yeah. Right. So the last two and a half, three years of the pandemic, it has honestly, and I'll be totally frank with you, Nicole has been just a time of dearth, a time of kind of like being in that pit of despair, that pit of depression. When we talk about the Kubler-Ross curve of change, right? The change curve. There's that pit of despair right there at the bottom. There's the anger, there's the shock at the beginning. And then it's like, boom, we're kind of stuck. And I'll I'll share again, transparently with you, because you also might have experienced this when our companies merge and when we're going through that merger a month after the pandemic started a month after shutdown, It was just this time of the world seeming to have lost its color. Yeah. And that's the best way that I can really phrase it, where everything just had this gray screen on it. Nothing felt exciting. Nothing nothing felt new or energizing. And just energetically, like I was at a very, very low point. I also share this distinct memory where, you know, getting trying to take a break after by that point, a, a 10 hour workday, and then having to log on back after that, a very healthy boundary between work and life, of course. But I was like, I got it. I got to unplug for a second. And I went downstairs into my driveway to try to do a workout. And I love moving because moving is something that yeah. gives me energy. But I just remember sitting there on the driveway and like crying because I couldn't do a kettlebell swing. I couldn't do a single push up, which that's something that I've been doing for years, right? Yeah. That that had become a daily staple. And I called my boyfriend. It's like, what is happening? Like, I just feel completely burnt out. It's like, well, Katya, that's probably because you are, right? It's like, <laughs> no <me>. shit, Sherlock. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's very, he knows how to tell burnout when he sees yeah. it. And so I was like, well, okay, I have two options. Either A, wallow in misery or B, move to Cabo and forget about all my worries. <laughs> okay, hold up perfectionist, all or nothing mindset. And you need it right there. Right there. there <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Thank you for, for naming that, Nicole. Definitely a recovering perfectionist myself. But unfortunately, yeah, I'm not rich. I can't move to Cabo. Can't just pick up and try to escape the world because the, the entire world was kind of feeling this, this burnout. And so I was like, well, what are the things that I can't control? Right? If we look at low side of focus or low side of control, this is what I can control. This is what I can't. Mm-hmm. I noticed that during that time, I had consistently and routinely been going on walks before work just to clear my head to enter the workday with a little bit of energy and uh, momentum. And I was like, what if I could pay attention to the tiny, tiny little things that I see every single day and then weave meaning out of it? Inherently, a hummingbird doesn't really have meaning. A leaf on a tree doesn't really have meaning. It's what we create with it and the narratives and the stories that we put together to add that layer of meaning, to add that layer of depth. Yeah. And then I began thinking to myself, well, what would it look like to do this on a larger scale? And so there, there comes in the other aspect of the story. I was about to turn a milestone birthday in a year. So I was kind of thinking a year ahead, you know, strategic thinking, a bit of planning. You and I both know. There you go. <laughs> yes. And Nicole, I think you're familiar with Gretchen Rubin, right? The oh. happiness project. 
my heart and soul. <laughs> I love her. Oh my I God. Figured. Yes. So she did a whole happiness project for our listeners, uh, where for a whole year, she devoted each of the 12 months for a different category of happiness to boost her happiness in her marriage and her relationship with her kids, fitness, all of these different categories. And I was like, well, I wanted to end that decade on a sort of exclamation point rather than just our standard ellipsis, right? The transition from one year to the next. But because it was a milestone birthday, I was like, ah, I want to go out with a bang. And so I was like, well, maybe I'll try the happiness project, but it didn't really quite fit. And then as soon as I was walking and brainstorming to myself, I got home, got a text from one of my best friends that said, hey, there's this book writing program that allows you to write a book in a year. Do it with me. And it was just serendipity. The only way I can describe it is serendipity, right? Just such such perfect timing where I was looking for that thing. It happened to come across my radar. That text came on the last day of the application for the book program. Shut up. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, it's now or never. Let's just do it. I don't know what I'm doing. We're going to. I think that gonna... was meant to happen because if it wasn't, it would be like five days of like, should I do this? Should I not do this? Should I do this? Should I not do this? Right? Yes. Yes. So I applied, got in, and then bada bing, bada boom, a couple of stressful months later, and we'll go into that. You know, we've got the book. Oh, so yeah. it is officially here. That's the genesis of it. At the core, the reason why I think. Well, I I don't want to say why I think my book matters because that that's not it, right? Mm-hmm. The reason that these stories matter is because I'm trying to hope that by sharing vulnerability and by sharing vulnerable stories of not only the the bright, glowy, joyful things, but also all of the shitstorm yeah. that is living in these times, that that can hopefully help other people feel a little bit less alone. And that was in this, it's, yeah. one of my favorite things about reading the book because. First and foremost, I knew you were a good writer. Mm-hmm. You taught me how to write <laughs> back at, back at our company. But hearing you write in a narrative way was a, 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 it was truly like a gift. It was and also mm-hmm. one of the things I love about it though is I read it and I'm like this is me and 15 other people I know. Mm-hmm. It is so good at getting to the heart and core of who we are and both the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. I would love to talk about a few of the stories that yeah. I just highlighted the shit out of in my book. <laughs> I want to talk primarily about, or first at least about cat lessons. Mm-hmm. Um specifically around the that like insanely high activity followed by the moderately high activity and mm-hmm. back to the insanely high will you describe what that was for or describe what that is for listeners and then i'd love to talk about how that came up yes yes so the story cat lessons was itself inspired by the fact that i have three cats my partner and i have three cats they're all brothers so they're all very intricately tuned into one another and of course um ourselves as, as they're humans they actually own us so, I was you know, say it's, that sounds- <laughs> it's that kind of relationship yep <laughs> but because we were stuck at home during the pandemic you know working from home and very very fortunate to be able to have a job during the pandemic right mm-hmm. i began paying a lot more attention to well what do they do all day and the first thing that any cat owner or maybe even any pet owner might say, well, they sleep a lot all day, right? Because mm-hmm. that's what they want to do. But then I also observed Zoomies, 11, 12 <laughs> o'clock at night. They're like, okay, it's poop time. 
as long as I'm done with poop time, it's time to race up and down the hallways just to let my presence be known because why, what else would you be doing at, you know, midnight? But what I noticed is that they are so good at tuning their bodies, their minds to being so focused on a fly, on a bird, on zooming up and down the hallways. And then they just completely unplug. Like I'm looking at two cats right now. They're laying down on the couch, snuggled together in two little balls. And they, they cannot hear the things going on outside the street. They cannot hear my voice. Their eyes are completely shut and they're just conked. So they recharge kind of like batteries. And then they go really fast again. They recharge and go really fast again. And I think that's such a nice lesson for us as people, as non-felines, to take away because the way that our brains work is actually periods of high intensity activity followed by high quality rest. Say that again for the people in the back. (laughs) Yes. The way that our brains are structured, the ways that our brains are wired, right? From the physiological perspective is that they thrive on high periods of high quality activity followed by high quality rest. Action, rest, action, rest. Which and Nicole, what we're doing is very different. <laughs> yes. I was going to say, based on the conversations that you've had, based on, on your listeners, right? And the folks who tune in, it's probably a lot of activity, activity, activity. Okay. Well, if I'm not being productive, then I'll try to be less productive, but maybe knock something off of my to-do list. And then maybe I'll rest someday, whatever, maybe when I'm dead. Right. Just slow clap. Well, and what I hear a lot is like high activity, high activity, high activity. Ooh, I should be resting. Ooh, I'll go take a bubble bath with wine, sit in the bubble bath. Think of all the things you could be doing that are more productive, which drains your energy massively because you're sitting still while your brain's going a thousand miles a minute. And then you get up and you just give yourself a mental beat down. Mm-hmm. And it's yes. just like, and then rinse and repeat over and over again. Right. And you never get that chance to unplug, to fully step away. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'll admit like that is still something that I struggle with. So we can definitely get into that because it's such a, it's a, yes, a skill that we learn, but it takes a while to make it work for us. I would like to talk that out. I know we have that later in our, our doc, mm-hmm. but I'd love to jump into it now. Of course. What in this lesson feels easy, maybe easy is not the right word, but like achievable is not the right word either, Nicole, but like what in this lesson feels like, oh yeah, I I got this. I can do this. And what is the, wow, this feels really hard. There's a dissonance there for you. Yeah. I'll start with the dissonance and what feels hard about it first. I think that so there's two things. One is that there definitely may be periods where there is actually too much work to do. Mm-hmm. And we do need to do it, whether it's external deadlines, internal deadlines. And this is after we go through, let me get rid of all of the superfluous. Let me yeah. push back on deadlines as much as I can. Let me like try to take breaks as much as I can. Sometimes there are periods of yeah. just a lot of work that absolutely have no wiggle room to get done because all the wiggle room has been sort of uh, negotiated. Totally. And so what's hard about that is that these moments are still going to happen. But I think that allowing ourselves to recognize that you're going to have some easier periods, you're going to have some easy breezy periods completely where you're at rest. And then you're going to have those moments where shit's going to hit the fan and it's going to feel very overwhelming. I think the hard thing is that it's, it's on a, in a cyclical nature, right? It's going to continue 
reappearing. But the thing that's cool is that based on experience, both mine, other people's anecdotal experience, and also research, we know that rest is good and rest is necessary. Not only does it feel good, but it's also necessary for our brains to function, for our bodies to function. And so reminding myself and you know others of, of that lesson is something that I'm finding very invigorating because I'm like, ah, it actually works. Yes. I had a participant in a workshop yesterday talk about this and she actually said the phrase, holy shit, it works. She's <laughs> like, these little tiny things add up. I'm like, yes. I just wanted to hug her from across the screen. And that was so powerful, right? I love, 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 love that. And one of the things I really enjoyed about this, the cat lesson story is we talk often you know, on this podcast about the good old sweet reticular activating system and having something in front of your face that says, hey, remember this, you're wanting to focus on this. And it brings it more into your conscious mind, which means you're focusing on it more, blah, blah, blah. But having the cats do things even like the big stretch, like Mm -hmm. I got so much joy out of that little part, but like, like having that big stretch moment and you linking, okay, when they do that, I'm going to say, Ooh, Katya, big stretch. And like doing the stretch Mm -hmm. yourself, like having that almost be like a habitual trigger for you Mm -hmm. is so important. And while maybe some of us don't have cats or we have dogs who just never seem to calm down, but like, you know, it's like having some kind of visual reminder. And I love that you made it playful. That is just so beautiful. Yes. It's, it's back to that concept of an implementation intention, right? If this, then that. So if I see my cat stretching, then that's going to spark my own ability to stretch and like release some of that stress, that mental tension. It's pandiculation, right? We stretch in order to relieve uh, stressors or tension. And like the cats are such a good reminder. Other reminders, sticky notes, right? I have a, oh. I actually have such a great quote from my mentor. Can I share it with you? Please, please. It is along the lines of how do we do the hard things, especially when they're hard? So it goes like this. I've memorized it by now because I, I bring it up every week. It's easy to stop and think, to rest, to pause, to stretch, insert any number of good activities. It's easy to stop and things when things are easy. Real mastery happens when we're tired or stressed or working to deadline. So it's, I, I'm going to, I'm going to say that again, because I just think it's so powerful. It's easy to stop and think when life is easy, when things are good, real mastery comes in doing it when things are tough, when we're stressed, when we're tired, when we're working to deadline. Yeah. So then I, my question for you is when you are in those working to deadline parts of, mm-hmm. of life, how do you still find that one of my, one of my favorite quotes is life is mastering the art of when to speed up and when to slow down. How do you, I, I don't know, it's good. So <laughs> I good. love that one. But like, how do you find those moments of slow down in those high intensity speed up periods? Like what are yeah. some of your tips or tricks? Yeah. Great question. It's actually something I ask a lot of other people because I'm still learning and I still yeah. haven't completely mastered it. But one is the initial mindset of treating those stressful periods as playgrounds. Like in the stressful period, I'm going to use that. I'm going to reframe it to be a playground where I get to, you know, jump to the monkey bar of taking three deep breaths, go on a swing of a big, you know, cat stretch. So like actively 
thinking and saying to myself, okay, I'm entering a time of really high stress because I'm calling it out because I'm naming it for myself ahead of time. I'm cueing myself in to prompt myself to take breaks throughout. And in the process, there's still the spiral, right? Where you're just kind of spinning. Something that I found helpful and something that I actually teach others is identifying a positive cue or a positive trigger that will disrupt, right? Or interrupt the the spin. For me, that's the song, You Make My Dreams Come True by Hollow Notes. Like, I just love that song. It's so happy. It's so, it's just so dreamy and it always puts me in a good mood. And I, there was a a one instance in particular where I was kind of like spiraling after a 12 hour workday. It was eight o'clock at night. I still had to do a work, had to, right. I still wanted to do a workout. I felt like I needed to do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) But I was just kind of like melted into the couch. Like the back of my back was glued to the couch cushions. I'm like, uh, I just feel, remember those commercials about um, drugs in the 1990s or like the 2000s where like a person takes a hit of weed and then they just like melt. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's just, a, it lives rent free in my head. Uh, but I just got that image where I just could not get up. I was glued to scrolling doom, uh, doom scrolling on Reddit. And then I played that song. Like it literally was as simple as playing that song. I was like, okay, Katya, like you gotta get up on yeah. your shit. Like do the things that you know are going to bring you energy. Don't just waste energy into wallowing. That's like, that's my favorite sentence right there. Because like, when we're in the, I call them push periods. When we're in those periods of constant pushing, doubling down almost on the little things that you know will give you energy rather than the doom scrolling, rather than the checking email constantly, you know, rather than the things that like are so small, but have such a huge impact on us. Mm -hmm. It helps us not only a feel like, wow, I actually like really have my shit more together than I thought I did. But what it does is it like it, when, you know, when we're doom scrolling on Reddit or we're doom scrolling on Instagram or whatever it is, we become what we're consuming. Mm-hmm. We will look at that and say, okay, well, there's this person who's doing this. We'll compare ourselves to that person. Oh my gosh, there's this really intense thing that I'm reading and I'm just so glued to it. And it'll like bleed into our energy versus doing the things that make us happy. Basically it raises our energy and that bleeds into the rest of the push period. Yeah. And it's so powerful, but it's so hard because it's that, it's that you make my dreams come true. I hope that's so good. Yes. Yes. The flip side of this too, Nicole, is I think allowing ourselves the grace to have those doom periods, right? Like if I'm at least 50% intentional in saying, like, I remember yesterday, um, again, was glued to the couch after a really long work day, had three back-to-back workshops. I'm like, I'm going to give myself an hour just to veg. Yeah. I, I don't veg a lot, but today, because it was a long day, I'm going to give myself an hour to veg. And at eight o'clock at night, I'm going to go for a run. And that's exactly what happened, right? I might've gotten up off the couch at 8, 10, 8, 05, but I was like, ah, it's fine. I'll yeah. eat up this hour of quote unquote wasted time because that's what felt right at the moment. But I'm not going to punish myself for it. Or I, I would have used to. I would have said, Katya, I can't believe you just wasted an hour of your life just doom scrolling. That that added nothing productive yeah. to your day, right? Those those pernicious words that oh, yeah. found and like nip at us. I feel like it so boils down to our our beliefs around rest, right? that belief that if I rest, then I'm worthless. If I rest, then I'm, um, 
not achieving things when I, if I rest, then no one will love me. I mean, that's a, like, if we really peel back the layers of the onion, that tends to be a really rooted one for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And we can't change what we're not aware of. Right. So if we don't recognize, Hey, I actually really have this unhealthy relationship with rest. Mm-hmm. Let me address it. It's going to keep eating at you and eating at you and eating at you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's an ever evolving process. Like I wish oh, it was something yeah. that could be, you know, magical <laughs> fixed in a day, but it can't, right. It takes that intentional sort of pausing and reflecting. Yeah. I want to move to laughter yoga because this m- made me smile. I'm like, I, I, I need to hear it from your own lips. What the hell is laughter yoga? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. I need to know. <laughs> yes. Honestly, I had never heard of laughter yoga before in my life. My company is one of those organizations that is just so deeply cares about its people. And I'm so grateful to work there. And one Friday, they brought in quote unquote certified laughter yogis. If you actually Google laughter yogis, their name are their names are Lauren and Alec, L-A-L-I-K. They are a real life married couple who are certified in laughter yoga. Like there is a certification that you can get to be a laughter yogi. And I was like, what is this nonsense? Is this some millennial bullshit aimed as to, you know, for team building, for getting us fired up about work? No, it actually worked. It was awesome. I was, I was a, definitely a skeptic, but what it was, was that we went through a series of intentional laughing exercises where just by the by the behavior of saying, ha, 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 he, 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 ho, ho, ho. You know, this sounds ridiculous. And I'm already smiling, already starting to laugh. Like the behavior begets the, the feeling, right? Yeah. So in this case, the behavior of saying, ha, ha, ho, ho, begets the sort of levity and the the laughter that arises out of it. And so we just did a full hour of that, of trying, you know, pretending we're different characters, laughing in different voices, and then having that be echoed. Again, this is on Zoom. This is all virtual. Having that be echoed with 30 of our closest friends on this massive Zoom screen and just tuning into the individual laughs of, of our colleagues was so resonant. And what really stuck with me was that these laughter yogis said that a lot of times we have situations in which we're expected to laugh, right? Like someone said a funny joke. Of course you would laugh at that because it's yeah. funny. Other times, more morbid times, you know, if a person in power, an executive, a leader makes some sort of sarcastic or not very funny comment, and yet we're still yeah. expected to laugh because that's the thing to do or we want to be in their good graces, then it just feels forced and inauthentic. But what they were saying is, how do we find opportunities to laugh deliberately without having some sort of, you know, uh, third party telling us to laugh? So, one instance that I brought up in the in the book was, um, there was a hopscotch grid in my neighborhood that just appears every every few uh, few weeks. And it's by a couple of kids. I actually have never seen them. I've only seen the hopscotch grid, but on my daily walks in my neighborhood, sometimes I see this grid, and I would just like jump through the hopscotch grid and it brought me so much joy and laughter. And I would like literally never miss it. Like if I walk past it, then I have to jump through it. That to me elicited just a little tiny chuckle. And I wonder if the people in the neighborhood are like, what is this adult human doing jumping through the the hopscotch grid? I was like, well, 
it gives me levity, right? It yeah. is an invitation for myself to laugh. And I think that's a really big takeaway is how do we craft those moments where we take off our, you know, clo- uh, robes of seriousness or our cloaks of, of adulthood and say, yeah. ah, fuck it. Like things are funny. Things are actually so ridiculous that they're funny. Let's just laugh about it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's it's a lesson that I'm still trying to incorporate to decrease the seriousness and increase yeah. the levity. It's so, oh God, it's so good. Um, literally one of my clients right now, she has realized like she's such a like light, just beam of light, happy-go-lucky person. But the second we get into work or things that are maybe a little bit more like about making sure everyone's taking care of all the stuff, it's like this like like jackal and hide, like immediate into seriousness. And she never realized it. And it's like, wow, like just noticing that. And now she's like adding play into that side. And it almost feels like she's like, wow, I feel like I'm coming together as a whole human being now. But we forget how serious we make shit. I've literally had a, I had a conversation with someone the other day who was making a reel for Instagram for their business. And it's like a funny reel. It was still that like my money don't jiggle, jiggle, <laughs> like, you know, like that song, yeah. which by the way has been stuck in my head ever since I thought, <laughs> but it's it like, it, it was to that song. And she, I just don't understand why it's not posting. I don't want to blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, do me a favor and listen to that song with a straight face. I dare you. And she just start, exact just started boiling out over in laughter. And she's like, I'm, I'm putting myself through torture with this. There is no, and she like literally put the app down and walked away. And it was like, wow, we put so much stress on ourselves and our bodies by being so serious. Mm-hmm. And I loved the laughter yoga story mm-hmm. a, because what, <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. but I, I really encourage everyone to go look it up and I'm going to do the same after this call. Like it's just, it's so, so important. And do you, like, I'm going to ask you the same question I did with cat lessons. Mm-hmm. What are some ways that you feel like right now incorporating that like laughter is working? And what are some ways that you're like, oh, I really need to work on that? Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the ways that it's showing up for me quite a bit is finding more levity in my relationships. Mm-hmm. So with my partner whom is whom I love dearly and he's just an incredible human being. Probably the best person I've met because you know I, I love him very much. And also right when we disagree I tend to similar to your client I tend to put on that serious face. Yeah. It's like, "Oh, well you didn't turn out the lights were like <laughs> You know, I get like real serious and yeah. he's like, "Katia, like First of all, this isn't a big deal. I'm like, it is a big deal because I want to be heard, right? But it's not a big deal. Yeah. It really isn't. And then finding, like, just listening to myself at how ridiculous I sound and saying, like, this is how it must be done. This is how it should be done. Like, yeah. it doesn't, right? There, There is a lot of room for using laughter and the levity as a way to let go. Yeah. And I think that's powerful. And it's not something that I've mastered. It, uh, another application I can think of is um, when we are uncertain or under times of stress, we might tend to catastrophize to think oh, of the worst yeah. case scenario, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I gave a colleague some difficult feedback the other day, and I was like freaking out after I sent that email. And it was something that that like he was just missing, but um, gave, gave him feedback. I was like, oh, should I have said that? Like, you know, is, is he going to think that like I'm trying to, uh, you know, 
mess with him or whatever. But he took it so well. And it's like, you know, it's probably going to be fine, but I don't know. I'm still, I'm still anxious. But then he replied, he's like, oh my gosh, I just genuinely didn't know. Like, thank you for highlighting this, this like miss in my training. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, that's cool. That yeah. went over really well. And allowing this cloak of seriousness to be lifted so that we don't assume the worst. And it's coaching ourselves through. It's like, Katya, yeah. the worst case scenario is likely not going to happen. It's a possibility, but the likelihood of that is very low. Yeah. But I feel like when we focus so heavily on it, like, I mean, where focus goes, energy flows, right? So if we focus so heavily on it, our energy, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. We just get so stressed out. I call this like the what if spiral. What if this happens? What if that's happening? So it's like shifting that to like, okay, for shits and giggles, what's the best case scenario? absolute best case scenario that could possibly happen. And then by the way, what's the gray? Cause it's probably not going to be one or the other. Mm-hmm. I hope it's mm-hmm. the best case scenario, but it might be in the middle and like, let's dive into that. And then like, you can literally see people's shoulders drop when they look at that. And it's like, wow, really and truly, I feel like the moral of the story is just live in the gray. I feel like mm. that's just like the moral of life. But I, I, I do want to, I want to ask you, what was your favorite story to write? in the book? You know, I struggled a bit with this question because there are definitely some stories I love and there are some stories I'm like, ah, well, I wrote it. It's fine. But after deliberate consideration, (laughs) I've chosen one to to talk about here, but in all seriousness, if I was going to say so serious, so serious, (laughs) right. had to do a little bit of like analysis, which story is the But I think the one that is most resonant to just me as a person, if I were reading it, even though I wrote it, can't distinguish the two, is actually the last one. And it's called Sewing and Sewing. Sewing with an E and Sewing with an O. And I'll share why it's so special is I actually have been sitting on that story for over three years. Wow. Yeah. It's a story. I. It's either three years or five years, and I, I cannot get my timelines right. But I had taken a trip with one of my good friends to... Portland. It was both Portland and Seattle, but for that trip, it was Portland. And we were walking through this mossy forest because, you know, Portland is very green. It's very lush. We were walking through this forest and I just felt like the footsteps that I was leaving on the trail, and it was kind of off trail because it was, it was a very dense forest, but the footsteps that I was leaving in the moss were almost as if they could be permanent in, in a way where I'm literally leaving an ounce of my story within my footstep for it to kind of soak into the earth. Yeah. And what that gave me sort of, I had this like vision of this big girl, this like giantess walking through the woods and she has rubber boots and she's got needles on the soles of her boots. And she's literally weaving her steps and her stories into the fabric of the earth, like into the ground. And so what that means is after she's gone, right after she dies, her stories don't, the stories inherently are woven woven into the earth. And I just got like chills saying that, which like I, I'm seeing the visual of the girl right now. But um I sat on that story for a number of years. It, it just never felt like the right time that I could articulate it. And I went through a lot of drafts for, uh, for that story. And it just felt very meaningful to be able to get it out. Yeah. And to say like no matter the ways that we go, we as people, the footprints on the sidewalks, on the trails, like even in the cars that we drive. Yeah. Like that's all embedded into the earth. That's the meaning. That's the added layer of meaning that we give it. 
inherently, I think life is meaningless, right? But it's that added layer that we say, hey, I was here for 80 some years. I lived a good life. I left, I, I sowed the seeds for my stories of a life well told. You're so good. You're <laughs> just so good. Oh my gosh, I love that. What would you feel like is the story, at least a lesson from the story, that's the easiest to live and the ones that's the hardest to live? Yeah. I think the easiest to live is the main is what I hope to be the main takeaway from the book for folks. And it's something that I call the treasure hunt framework, which is, so it's based on this concept of assumptions, right? The way that we live our lives are based on what we assume about the world. For example, if you and I assume that most people are good, we're Mm -hmm. far more likely to encounter really, really good people. Yeah. I'm assuming that's the case for you, Nicole. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes. A hard yes. I I tend to carry that same assumption and I've been very blessed and very lucky to come across just the most magnanimous individuals. And I I love the people that I meet. Likewise, what if we were to assume that every single day has a potentially infinite number of treasures that are hidden all in plain sight? And then that becomes our responsibility, maybe even our duty to be those treasure hunters. So what if we could wear the identity of a treasure hunter to deliberately go out and uncover all those little tiny treasures, the joys, the sorrows, the idiosyncrasies of the human experience, and just savor them for a moment before they slip away back into the ether? I know this sounds like a lot of like woo-woo words, but I really truly believe that, like you said, where our energy goes. What is the quote? I uh, where focus goes, energy flows. Where focus goes, yes. energy flows. Well, what if we were to focus that attention? Because we have so many things competing for our attention. If we could focus our attention on just one thing that made us pause in awe or wonder, what could a lifetime of that look like? Yeah. Well, and even just setting an intention of going back, going back to the particular activating system. Cause it's so powerful, but like, yes. even by setting the intention, I'm, I'm going to find something treasure, a treasure today. Mm-hmm. It rewires our brain to say, okay, I'm going to start looking for treasure. Like, it's like the same thing when you're shopping for a car. I was shopping for, um, we were looking at getting a Subaru Outback, not Outback, Subaru Crosstrek recently. And like the bright orange one, like the, <sighs> like we were going to call it the Mimosa Mobile. We're, we're going a different route now, but, <laughs> but the second we made that decision, it was like literally left and right. Mimosa mobile, Mimosa, like everywhere we saw them, mm-hmm. they were always fucking there. Mm-hmm. We just never saw them because our brain didn't say, pay attention to these. Yes. And it's the yes. same thing here. I love like there, there's so much like, yeah, there's so much woo woo. But then I also think like, there's so much science behind this. There's like, your brain is designed to show this. Like I think it's Mel Robbins who says like, try to find one heart a day like anywhere, whether it's a rock or a a graffiti or your toe looks like a heart today. I don't know, but like try to find one heart a day and people will find them because they're looking for them. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's Mm -hmm. so when we're looking for joy and for like joy in plain sight, when we're looking for that, it's there. It's always there. Mm -hmm. It is always there. Right. And we give it like, 
by nature of us being human beings, we get the gift of assigning it meaning. Like I said, uh, yes. you know, uh, yeah, right. Like I said uh, earlier, there's no inherent meaning of a hummingbird. There's no inherent meaning in the shape of a leaf or the fact that, you know, we've walked past the same sidewalk and just today there happens to be a hopscotch grid, mm-hmm. but we give it that extra meaning. We can assume that by imparting our own experiences, emotions, thoughts onto it, that it might kind of pay us in dividends in returns of yeah. delight, of joy, of levity, of playfulness, of laughter. Yes. Right. And so like the the way kind of I think there's a difference between thinking that this is good and saying, Katya, that's a cool idea. Like let me try it. And actually trying it. Yeah. Right? I think the actual like there's a gap between ideation and activation. Well, it's like what? the gap between like I know something and I'm living it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so for some folks the activation of it looks different for me because I like to write it. I have a notebook that sits on my table. I sit on my couch every night before bed to just like snuggle with my partner with the cats, you know, read whatever. And I know that I'm going to be there on the couch before I go to bed. So my notebook of where I record daily joys, I literally have a notebook. That's a five-year journal. One thing every day for five years. I just write it down. It's like yesterday I had a really amazing conversation with uh, a client wrote that down. Day before, it would may, it may be a nice comment that somebody mentioned to me. You know, all of these are, I'm just jotting them down so that I don't forget. I have to do that before I go to bed. I want to ask one more question about the book. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry I didn't write this no. on our list, but I'm going to off the cuff. I don't remember the title of the story, but there's the one where you address Nick specifically. Mm-hmm. And it's not to the reader. There's actually two things we want to talk more about the book. Now that I think about it. It's not to the reader. It's directly to him. Mm. What was the choice behind the, I'll call it a letter, I guess, a letter for lack of a better word. What was the choice behind doing that there? And I mean, like, it, like I literally was reading and just like sobbing. I was like, there's so much love here. <laughs> like, it's just so beautiful. But I'd love to know, like, what was the choice behind writing that to him? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was, I'm looking through the list of uh, stories here. And I think what you're talking about is your silence is fullness. That's it. That's it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. So just to give context, your silence is fullness is a story um, that is written to Nick, like, Hey, I'm, I'm talking to you. And this is a story about it of how Nick's a very private and quiet person. And I can be very bombastic and loud and energetic, right? I have my moments, but usually I'm, I'm pretty energy um of how that silence used to kind of like wig me out like well you're not talking like what are you thinking like what's going on like tell me tell me all the things and then just being able to treat it as a gift of we don't have to talk we don't have to communicate with words we can just revel in that silence together and i wrote it it was actually inspired by a poem where last year, maybe a year and a half ago, I did a month of of poems where I was yes. just like, you know, write for a month and then publish uh, one thing a day. And I wrote wrote that story because I was both in part frustrated by the silence and also at the same time, paradoxically, right, holding two very different truths, yeah. um, both very inspired by the si- silence that we shared. And I guess it's a little bit of a love letter that just no. happened to humble out but being able to appreciate the idiosyncrasies of a partner who is so incredibly different yeah. than who we are, but at the same time, foundationally at the values level, like very yeah. hard. So 
that. That was, was the impetus for that. I loved, truly just loved that story. Not only because of just like, again, the amount of love that just like made me like, <laughs> like but also again, going back to the very beginning of our conversation, I see people I know and myself also in that story and in those stories and like both like wow like that silence that's so spacious that silence is so that's so meaningful like but also in the like the partner who slows you down or not slows you down like get down here like the Mm -hmm. partner who slows you down and like brings you to the present moment right like that's Mm -hmm. that's a big thing I, I just, I loved, 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 loved that one. And especially, especially for perfectionists, I feel like to have that person in your life is invaluable and it's frustrating, <laughs> mm-hmm. but invaluable, invaluable nonetheless. Right. Right. Because it teaches or opens us up to the parts of ourselves that we may need to flex more of, or we might mm-hmm. want to flex more of, Right being comfortable with silence, sitting in it, really reveling it. And if it's not a person, right, then it can be either a habit or a pet or maybe a place that you go that instills that silence. Like mountain peaks for me are my other silence partner where I just go up there. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to chill out here for five minutes. It's beautiful. (sighs) My second, my, my last question, I promise about the book is for perfectionists, both recovery and current. Mm -hmm. What do you feel like is the story they need the most? Oh, I'm so sorry. I did not prepare you for this no, question. <laughs> that's that's I'm such looking. a, yeah, that's such a beautiful question. Hmm. The story that folks, oh, that's actually easier than I thought it was going to be. Thank you for, for asking that question. I think the story called unfinding joy when you're tired of looking. And the reason that I say that First of all, do you remember anything from it? I'm I'm having trouble remembering that one, but just the title alone, I'm like, yep, that sounds about right. <laughs> like, but will you give everyone a reader's digest of of that story? Of course, it actually goes back to um, the point about like sitting melting on the couch when you're just like so burnt out, you're so exhausted, and yet there's a million things on your CVS receipt of a to do list that you <laughs> that you have to do, right, or that you should do. Yeah. And then how do you, despite all of the bullshit, all of the heaviness, how do you still find that little glimmer of light? And the crux of it is identifying those positive cues. Again, for me, it's that song, right? You make my dreams come true. For other folks, it might be a snack, a cuddle with a partner or a pet. Uh, It might be as simple as like turning on the light, both physically, right? Like making a room brighter or metaphorically, whatever that means to you. And I wrote that story because while I was writing the book, very paradoxically, I felt joy kind of seeping away because working 15 hour days while writing a book and working a full-time job that's very, you know, cognitively demanding is hard, y'all. I don't recommend it. Like, it is very difficult. <laughs> really? I thought that sounded like a walk in the park, Katya. <laughs> well, I did too, Nicole. And then guess what? It was a very big hike. That's something I see so often. People are like, yeah, I can totally do that. No problem. I'm like, maybe on your best day. Sure. Yeah. But on an average day, how does that sound? And they're like, no. <laughs> yeah, it was it was difficult. But despite all of that, like how do we still make that time and make that effort because we know it pays off in the long run. Yeah. Like it may be hard to find, but the payoffs are so so great. And so that's that's what I would say, and finding joy when you're tired of looking 
can be a nice little lullaby to say, I hear you. I see you. You are so not alone in this. And there's a glimmer of light. Mic drop. So good. (laughs) Where can people find this book? And for the love of God, perfectionists read it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I was, we were saying this in our, our kind of like intro call before we sat down and recorded the episode. Um, a- after reading it, I firmly believe that this should be required reading for this audience. Oh. Like, and I'm dead serious because oh again, there's just like, it's lesson after lesson after lesson, but you see yourself in these stories and it's so rare that you get something so immersive like that. And I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm truly blown away. So tell us where, where can they get it? It's so good. (laughs) I so, so appreciate it. Also, before I say that, I do want to say that this is not meant as an instruction manual. So it's not meant to be didactic. I love that folks are picking up things that resonate with them. That that's my like deepest hope, right? Is whatever resonates, that's what sticks. Um, But thank you so, so much for, for sharing that, Nicole. If you'd like a copy, it is available anywhere you buy books, which is Amazon, Barnes and Noble. If you Google Joy in Plain Sight Amazon or, or Joy in Plain Sight Katya Davidova, it will pop up on your Google search. I promise. I am this summer, I am hoping to get these books into physical bookstores. Can you believe that those still exist? I love bookstores. Like it's such a a, a treasure of mine to actually yes. go and like smell a book to its core. Oh but my God, if you're I love you. <laughs> Yes. I actually do that. Like libraries and bookstores. I'm like, "Ah, please give me more. Um, If you're in the LA area this summer, they will be in bookstores. I'm going around to various places and saying like, Hey, joy, have some. So find it. And we'll put all the links also in the show notes so people can grab it. Yes. Katia, I'm going to ask you our last two, two questions or or segments of the, the episode. First and foremost, what is a goal that you're either working towards or maybe you achieved this week or whatever it is, big or small, it doesn't matter, but what is a goal that we can celebrate with you? I love that question because I think it's such an ethos of, of your community, Nicole, and also just like us recovering perfectionists. Oh, yeah. One of my goals is to work less after a year of working yes. 15 <laughs> hour days. And Nicole, I went to a concert on Tuesday night. I like left work 30 minutes early. I drove the, I know. And then when I got home, I mean, granted it was midnight. I didn't work. And like, that just sounds so like, well, good for you, Katya. Like, great. You didn't work. But like, for me, that's a very big thing. Cause I'm yes. used to working every night after work. And it was such a blast. I, I sweated down. Oh, TMI, but I sweated down to my underwear. It was a yeah. show. <laughs> so yeah, it was just a lot of dancing. I was like, wow, I feel alive. So what making was progress. it was streetlight manifesto. They're a ska band. I think I've seen them three or four times now and made oh, friends in the in the crowd. I was like, oh, let's just dance, you know, let's just dance together. So making I'm strides so still work less. For you. Because I know you well, can can we share about September and October? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh so I am taking a deliberate sabbatical in September and October for six weeks. I will be logging off from work. Work is something that's uh graciously allowing this for for their employees. And I'm taking advantage of it because like I told you, Nicole, I think we don't have infinite reserves of health, of mental health and physical health. There will always be an opportunity to make more money. Always. And I say this from, I recognize the privilege that I have in taking the sabbatical, right? Of yeah. being able to um, afford life for a month without pay. 
uh, that is not a privilege that comes for everybody. So I do speak with a lot of like knowledge and gratitude for that. Um, but I'm excited to like discover who Kati is and what she wants to do. Like, who is this person that's, that's speaking these words? Like, who is she? Let me know. And I have, let myself know. Have you ever read The Artist's Way? I started it by Julia Cameron. C? Cameron. Cameron. Yeah, I started it. Mm-hmm. That might be an interesting thing to explore. Jot that down. I'm going to capture it so I don't forget it. It's a, it's for listeners, it's almost like a 12 week course, mm-hmm. more than a book, but this business, this podcast would not exist if it were not for that experience. Like I would not be in this position if I hadn't read and done that book for the 12 weeks. And like one of my favorite exercises in there is to like write down all these things that like you love doing, whether it was, you know, something you love doing from childhood or something you've never done before. Just like everything you think would bring you joy. Mm -hmm. And then to write down when the last time it was, you did it. And when I did that, I was like, no, oh no. (laughs) It was so like years ago, more than years ago, never like all these things. Mm -hmm. And then I think the homework assignment is like, do one of those this week. And it's just awesome. It's, it's very awesome, but it's a really good way of understanding who you are outside of the busy stuff, the busy Mm -hmm. work. So Mm -hmm. I would highly, I would highly recommend it. Thank you. I actually like listened to it on an audiobook and then I gave it up in lieu of another another book because I was like, ah, I'm in the throes of 15 hour workdays. Yeah. So this came at a perfect time where I'm trying to investigate myself and how to yeah. work better, how to be better. So thank you for sharing that. You're that down. Last question. Yeah. How were you imperfect this week? How wasn't I imperfect this week? <laughs> I think that's the better question to ask. Okay, I will share. Uh, I had, okay. There's these cookies from Costco that drive me and my partner mad because they're so stupid good. They, I actually pu- uh, picked up the phrase stupid good from Unicole. Oh, something thank that you. you said, <laughs> yeah. I, I wanted to, I, I don't know if I ever told you this, but like it's stupid good or it's stupid. Amazing. I picked up for you. Um, I feel so honored. <laughs> yes, yes, please. Uh, but they are just the most amazing raspberry crumble cookies. And my partner and I have this habit of hiding them from one another so we don't eat the entire box because one box is already gone and it's been four days. Today I had two cookies. I'm like, you know what? That felt so good to eat both of them in one sitting. And they're giant. They're about 400 calories each. I'm like, fuck it. Who cares? I'm going to go on a run later. It'll be fine. Um, but allowing myself the art, uh, the joy and the gift of just like eating things that are not so good for you physically, but so good for the soul. Yes. Tiny, small wins when, you know, lunches are salads or protein or things like that. I'm like, we got to sprinkle in that soul food somewhere in there. One of my favorite questions, like, especially when I was kind of like getting, getting in and out of like, where, what is healthy eating? What does that for Nicole look like? It was, does this, does this bring me joy? Does like very Marie Kondo kind of style. Like mm-hmm. would this food bring me joy? And sometimes mm-hmm. it was like this cheeseburger, maybe it would bring me joy for a second, but it would not bring me joy at two in the morning. Mm-hmm. But sometimes that donut, I would be like, this brings me immense amounts of joy. And it's like, great, go for it. Like, it's not very like intentional going into it rather than like, <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. The intentionality behind of thinking like, yes, this has both short-term and long-term positive yes. effects for my soul, for my being, for my well-being. 
I love that. I'm going to, I'm going to steal that mindset. Oh, from please. You. There's so many things I've stolen from you this episode. Please take one. <laughs> All of the things. Oh my goodness. I love you. Thank you so much for being on the show. This is just incredible guys. Seriously, go pick up a copy of Joy in Plain Sight. It is such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful story. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And Nicole, thank you for making this possible for just spreading your gifts and your sort of, again, that, that energy, that effervescence that you so naturally have and you so naturally bring about in other people. I'm just so grateful you exist. Period. Mic drop. You are amazing. Thank you for doing what you do and for more importantly, being who you are. The feeling is so mutual. (laughs) I just, wow. She's just my, my everything, my human Katya. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being on the show. This was just such an unbelievable treat. I hope you all enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed interviewing Katya. Please go check her out. You can go to katyadavidova.com for her website, which has all the links to buy her book or go to Instagram, joy in plain sight, all one word, all lowercase. Um, But I really strongly recommend getting her book. Actually, if you're watching on YouTube, I have it literally right here on my little stack of books that I always use for coaching. Boom, right here. It's just... It, oh my God. I just, I cannot recommend this book enough. Again, I know I said it about 14,000 times in the episode and I said it in the intro, but I'm going to say it again. It puts to words the things that we think, but don't know we think. That made sense, right? <laughs> it really, it puts to words those moments where we're just like, okay, like just do this and this and this and this and this and this isn't crazy. You just you keep going, keep going, keep going. But it puts to word in a sentence how you're feeling in those moments. And it's like, oh my God, I feel so, like it literally feels sometimes like I'm reading my diary. It is just such a good book. No bullshit. I would be saying this if she was not a dear, dear friend of mine as well. Like it was just such a cool cool instance to read a book by someone who I enjoy the stinking pants off of, but also just absolutely adore her book. So I'm going to step off my high horse, go get it. It is so good. Again, join plain sight on Instagram or go to katyadavidova.com. All the links are in the show notes as well. And then a quick reminder, just to wrap up this episode to register for our upcoming five ways to end procrastination for good masterclass. And I will, I want to say this, I know I am mentioning going to register for a masterclass that's two weeks away, or what would it be when this episode comes, maybe like a week and a half away, to a bunch of procrastinators. So I'm just going to go ahead and pull back the curtain and say, okay, here's one of the things we're going to, this is a very broad way to describe it. We're going to go a lot deeper in the masterclass, but when we are procrastinators, the number one thing that we can do to end procrastinating is to understand that in order to break the pattern of procrastination, we're going to have to do something different. And I know that sounds really like logically like duh, but a lot of people, procrastinator or overachiever or people pleaser, honestly, just perfectionists in general, tend to lean into, well, you know, like I don't need to do anything different. I just have to do what I'm currently doing harder and then I'll get past this. And it's like, that's not true at all. You're going to have to do things differently. So here I am right now asking you to do something different. 
rather than saying this masterclass is a week and a half away, I'm just going to register for it later and totally forgetting and having it on your shoulders or on your to-do list. And oh my God, oh my God, I still haven't registered for that. Oh my, I then like, (laughs) you know, the feeling if we put something on our to-do list and we put it off and put it off and put it off, even if it's like a two minute task, the stress of it weighs down on us so much and it's just exhausting. So I'm asking you to do something different with me right here, right now. If you are interested in this masterclass, go save your seat for it right now. I guarantee you that sense of getting something, a two-minute task done right away, it leaves you feeling accomplished. It leaves you feeling proud of yourself. And it leaves you feeling like, oh my God, I can follow through on things. All of these, by the way, are a huge burst of dopamine, which is how we build new habits. So I'll get way more into it in the masterclass, but I urge you to do something different with me. Go register right now for that masterclass, lifecoachbaker.com forward slash procrastination, or click the link in the show notes to register. And I hope to see you there again. I'm so excited. This is something that we've been being asked for for so long. And the fact that we're finally doing it makes me so excited. Also, if you have not already, please rate and review the episode, especially if you enjoyed this interview, share it with a friend, share it on social media and tag me and join Plain Sight, Katya. Um, we would love to reshare it and just give a, give you a big virtual hug. That would mean so much to us. I hope you all enjoy your beautiful, beautiful days and I will talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Life Coach Baker podcast. Don't forget to go take the free quiz and find out what perfectionist type you are by visiting the link in the show notes or by going to lifecoachbaker.com forward slash quiz. Also take a moment to rate the podcast and write a review. It is the best way to get the word out there. Plus you'll get the chance of having your review read on the show. Until next time, I'll talk to you soon. Bye.